Okay, so we continue now with the uh, the Seder. Hopefully we'll be able to get ourselves through the, uh, the remaining parts of the Seder, understanding uh, their significance within the, the big picture of how things are, are, are running. And we left off by Yachatz, I think is where we left off. So let me bring that up over here, even though there's not really so much to see as far as Yachatz is concerned. But... Um, the significance of yachatz is, so as we're going to see in a number of different uh, expressions over the course of our, uh, our discussion tonight, our review of the, the landscape of the, the Haggadah tonight, so we're going to see, and we talked about this last week as well, that we're going through a transition. And if we're going to truly experience the, uh, the, uh, the purpose of the Seder, so what we need to try and accomplish or we're trying to, uh, to do over the course of the night is we're trying to begin in a state of slavery, and we're going to try and come out, we're going to try and emerge in a state of freedom. So we're going to go literally from Avdus Lecherus. We're going to try and make that transition from slavery to, uh, to freedom. So here, at the beginning of the story, at the beginning of the Seder, so what we need to do is, the mindset that we have is the fact that we're still slaves. So as we mentioned towards the end last week, the eating of the karpas and the salt water is one of those expressions of that. The salt water expre- especially is a reminder of the bitterness and not the bitterness in terms of the food, but the crying that we experienced and the sadness which we had to endure as we were slaves in Egypt. And then the matzah is one of these amazing things because the matzah, it, it certainly serves as a prop to retell the story as part as a major part of the story. But the matzah itself takes on two different forms. And it depends on where you are in the Seder in terms of what form or what it's actually trying to, to express. Because if you remember, on the one hand, Chazal refer to matzah as lechem oni, that's a poor man's bread. And then on the other hand, we, we, when we eat matzah, later on in the Magid, if you remember, I could get us there quickly. Uh, when we say matzah zu al shumah, like why, why do we eat matzah on Pesach? So what we're going to say at that time is, pass it over. So here on the screen it says, al shum shlo hispik b'tzekem shavasinu hachmitz al shenigla alem lachmachem lachmakash baruch u'gealam. So towards, as we get later on in Magid, what we're going to say is that matzah is eaten because when we were actually leaving Egypt at the time of the actual exodus itself, that night between the Pesach Seder, which they had in Mitzrayim, and then the next morning when they were leaving, so they didn't have a chance to allow the dough to rise, and therefore in their rush or in their haste to, uh, to leave Egypt, so they ended up having this matzah rather than actual bread. So later on, we, we're going to see that matzah really represents the bread of freedom. So here we have this dual role that matzah is playing at the Pesach Seder, at the beginning of the Pesach Seder. So it's lechem oni, it's poor man's bread, and it's also, is, is it's, in its role is poor man's bread. That also is the secondary meaning which Chazal assigned to, uh, to matzah, or the phrase lechem oni, which is lechem sha'onim alav dvarim harbe. It's the bread that we use as a prop to answer many questions. And then as we move on, it's going to become the bread of freedom. So matzah is playing this dual role as we ourselves are going to experience at the Seder, hopefully, where we start off in the mindset of slavery and move on to, uh, to freedom. So at the beginning of the Seder, 
when we do this part, which we call yachatz, so we do is, we don't say anything at the time, but as we all know, you take the middle matzah, you break it in two, and then you put the larger half away for afikomen for later, and you put the smaller piece back under the other two, hopefully still whole matzahs, to be able to use later on when you get to when we get to, uh, to mozi matzah. And the reason why we take specifically the smaller one and put it into the between the other two matzahs, and we save the bigger piece for later, as everybody knows, is because that's what a poor person is going to do. A poor person who has very limited food isn't going to go ahead and eat most of his food now. He's going to go ahead and he's going to eat a small portion of his food now and save the larger portion for later, because who knows when that next meal is coming or when he's going to be able to get his hands on food again in the, in the future. So here at this point, Yachatz, we're driving home the fact that at this moment in the Seder, at this point in the process, we still find ourselves to be slaves, and we're behaving as slaves would, and then we find, we find expression of that with this idea of making sure to, uh, to break the matz in half and save the larger piece for, uh, for later. So yachatz isn't just a technical thing having to do with the eating of the matzah, which we're going to do later on, and making sure that we have some of it for motzi matzah and some of it is going to be afrikomen, but it's actually part of the storytelling process. It's representative. It's acting out the part of the story, where we are in the storyline in these early chapters when we find ourselves to be, uh, to be slaves. So that's yachatz. Then we get to the section, which is called Magid. Obviously, over here you have uh, the, the, the Magid section. So Magid is where we actually tell the, uh, tell the story. And it's not telling the story. And this is something which uh, try and drive home uh, every year. And you may hear about it from me again and again uh, this year. And that is, is that the purpose of Magid, as we know, is not simply to recall history. We don't become history majors at the time that we go ahead and attend the, the Seder. There's not... No offense, Danny, with your specialty in, in, in history, but we don't, become, uh, we don't become history majors all of a sudden who are going to be able to do some independent PhD level research in what happened in the, the history of the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to share our story. We're trying to tell it over as if we were the ones, we were that generation who actually left Egypt. And we're trying to explain to our children or our grandchildren or the next generation of, of people who didn't experience it personally and try and capture for them and give them a sense of the emotions and the feelings which were involved in leaving Mitzrayim. And we do so specifically in the form of, as we know, questions and answers. So questions and answers is really what it's all about because the most important thing isn't, there, there's a certain element of answers which are important, but uh, much more important than that, I think that much more important than that is the ability to be able to ask questions, to be able to be attentive to what's going on and to say that we're doing all sorts of different things on this particular night that we don't normally do, but it's not just because the menu is different than I expect on a normal Friday night or that it's going to be, we're starting a little bit later than we normally do on the, on the Friday night, but the children are supposed to be attentive to the fact that we have these uh, inconsistencies in terms of our behavior. And that really gets to the core of what the four questions are about in the sense that we're doing things which don't make any sense that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that, that are inconsistent. 
So matzah, the first question, the first two questions, let's say, revolve around matzah and maror. Matzah at this point, as we said, is poor man's bread. Maror is something which is a bitter vegetable. Only those people who can't afford yummy vegetables are going to be eating bitter vegetables. And we're reminding ourselves of the bitterness of our experience. So the first two questions the children ask revolve around slavery-related things, slavery, suffering, torture, stuff of that nature. And then the second two questions about dipping and about reclining, though those are both representative of freedom. And those are both representative of something which aristocracy and, uh, and uh, somebody, who is, uh, somebody who is free to do as they want, that's something that they're going to do. So there's four observations that the children make but what's really supposed to be happening is, is that the child is supposed to combine these four different things which we do, all of which are unusual, and take note of the fact that it's inconsistent. If you tell me that we're remembering that we were slaves, so everything we should do is slavery-like. If you're telling me that we should experience the geula, that we want to be free, because it's man cheruseinu, it's the time of our freedom, then all of the unusual things which we're doing at this meal should all be freedom-related. But we're mixing our metaphors. We're doing some things slavery and some things which are free, and the children are confused by that. What exactly are we celebrating? Are we celebrating one or the other? Can't handle more than uh, you know one uh, one concept at a time. So that is at the core of what their question is. And as you know, so then the Gemara gives us two different answers as far as what the, that is. Both of them revolve around the similar theme, and that is that Chazal tell us that when we're telling the story. Because when Chazal originally uh, planned out the, uh, the Pesach Seder, they didn't necessarily have a full script like we use nowadays in terms of a full Haggadah, but they had it more conceptual and it was going to be more organic and was going to be something where there's a lot more ad-libbing to the storytelling than the very specific script which we go ahead and which we use when, uh, with, at our Pesach Seder. But there's two ideas. So the basic idea that we need to do, which captures this inconsistency which we're experiencing, which is the whole point of the Seder, is to experience those inconsistencies, the slavery to freedom. So they say that you have to be maschel begenos umasayim beshvach. So you begin the story by talking about things which are embarrassing about the history and the origin of the Jewish people. And then we conclude with praise for where we came, where we went from that place of origin, from that embarrassing, humiliating place of our origin. The Gemara records two opinions where exactly the story begins from. So right after the four questions, so we begin with one answer. So we start off by saying that originally we were slaves in Egypt and we were tortured and we were afflicted and we were killed and all of those things. And as we know, had God not taken our ancestors out of Mitzrayim, we would still be slaves in Egypt ourselves. So here already we're personalizing it. We're saying that we are, in a sense, direct recipients of God's benevolence, because had he not taken our ancestors out, however many generations that's going to go, but he had, had he not taken our ancestors out of Egypt, we ourselves would still be slaves. So it's not as if we're telling somebody else's history. 
we're telling a history which is very personal, because anu uvanenu, we, and even as we look towards the future, we would only see not only that we are slaves, but we would see the future generations also. The inevitable outcome would be slaves beget slaves, who beget slaves, who beget slaves. Where What else is going to happen in, the, in human history other than it just, it just continues? And therefore, because we have this dichotomy that we start the story as slaves, and then God took us out and we became free. So because of that, so that's why the, the paragraph begins, or we could say, uh, it's a mitzvah for us to go ahead and retell the story. In the more you could relate about the story, so that, not again, not as a history lesson, have a more thorough, you're not going from the 101 uh, history lesson to the 201 lesson to the 301. You're not working your way through, uh, through higher uh, levels of classes or more details. It's supposed to be more experiential. So the assumption is, is the more you can tell about the story, you're more going to experience it. And that ultimately is the, is the goal. Now, from here, and this is what I showed you last week, I didn't pull it up again this week, but this is where uh, Golden's chart comes in. So we go off on this whole tangent over here with the parameters of what the mitzvah of Sipur Yitzis Mitzrayim is. So we say, because we just mentioned, even if we were all wise, it would still be a mitzvah. So we give an example of that. Because you have in this paragraph, you have five great Tanayim who spent the whole night telling over the story. Obviously, it wasn't something where they were just trying to recount history to one another, but it was to try and capture it in a way where each one would be able to add their perspective so it would be experienced differently. And then we go on to another paragraph about, about saying it, not only is it Pesach night, but you're supposed to remember, you're supposed to remember the Exodus for your entire life. And then we talk about that in the telling of the stories. So we have to make sure, and this is something which I may talk about the Shabbos, depending on how we're going to break that down, but uh, that, uh, that the storytelling isn't, a, it isn't something which is scripted. Here again, see this idea that the Pesach, that the telling of the story is not something which is intended to be scripted, but it's intended to be personalized for the people who are there. And you have to be able to speak and describe things in a language and with metaphors, which are going to be meaningful to the person that you're talking to. And therefore, the Torah goes out of its way, and the, and the Haggadah goes out of its way to say, listen, there are different types of children. There's a Chacham, there's a Rasha, there's a Tam, and each one of them is going to be interested or curious about a different dimension of what happened. Their question is going to be a reflection of their unique personality in their unique perspective, in their unique interests. And you have to make sure that you personalize your response to them in a way which is going to leave them inspired and not simply, you know, falling asleep as, uh, you know, the history teacher is just, uh, you know, droning on and on and on about, uh, you know, facts and dates and stuff of that sort. But it's going to be something which is going to be uh, experienced very personally. The next paragraph, again, puts it in terms of the date when you're supposed to tell that story. Maybe we should begin from Rosh Chodesh, because like we just read this past Shabbos, like the Drasha. So being that, we went ahead and we had the, uh, we talked about how the beginning of the salvation of the Jewish people begins when we receive the calendar. Maybe we should start the story, we should tell the story from then. And therefore we say, no, we have to tell the story very specifically, 
Because again, we're not merely telling a story. It's not intended to uh, uh, recount history. It's supposed to be this experiential thing. And the props are something which are very essential to that process. You cannot tell the story without the matzah and the more, or maybe you can, but they're ideally supposed to be said in that fashion. And therefore that helps us frame what we're trying to accomplish in this in the story, that it's going to be this whole experience which is going to capture your entire imagination and all of your senses and all of those things together, that's how the story is supposed to be told. Once we clarified all of those halachas about the parameters of the mitzvah of Sipur Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, now we get to answer number two. So remember we said that the answer to the four questions about why is there this inconsistency that some things are slavery-like and some things are freedom-like? Why are we mixing those metaphors together? So answer number one was, And now here we get to answer number two. This is the other opinion that the Gemara records. And that is, goes further back in Jewish history, which is, So we go all the way back to the father of Avram Avinu. So Avram Avinu, the father of the nation, so he was the one who, uh, who uh, he comes from an idolatrous background. And as far as Judaism is concerned, so you can't get much more embarrassing than to be an idolater. It's like the worst uh, you know, insult you could hurl at somebody that you're, uh, you're an idolater. So this is what our origin is. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Mako, the omnipresent, so he went ahead and brought us close to him, La'avodaso. That key, I'm going to highlight just that word. And he brought us close to him, not just simply because he was looking for a nation and he was shopping around and the Jews were sheep. And everybody else said no at Har Sinai. So the Jews said yes. So he went ahead and he, 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 he had no choice. But he brought us closer to him, La Avodaso, because our whole function and our whole existence ultimately is to serve God. And the whole story of the fact that we were idolaters, the fact that we were slaves and he took us out and he brought us near, all of that is to be able to reach that stage of avodaso, the fact that we're supposed to worship him. It's not just that we're Jews, it's not knowing that you're Jewish. It's not feeling Jewish. It's not being Jewish in your heart, but the purpose is to be able to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this is one of those, uh, those themes which I think is an essential part of the, the storytelling. This is also one of these things, these themes, if you, if you were to remember from year to, to year, that, that the, uh, the purpose of the Pesach Seder is to answer the question that our children are asking, why should I be a from Jew? Why should I? There's so much out there in the world that I can be a part of and that I'm restricted from being part of by virtue of the fact that I keep halacha and, I keep, uh, and I, uh, I'm not willing to compromise those standards why am I going to continue to do this? And as time goes on, there's more and more of a drive and an attraction to leave. And the question is, why shouldn't I leave? We're really trying to answer that question here at the Pesach Seder. And if the, if, if the child were to say, listen, I'm going to remain, I'm, I believe in God, I'm connected with God, I love God. But just this, this, the, the restrictions and the, uh, the, you know, the Shabbos stuff and the Kasha stuff, that stuff is too much for me. I'm just going to remain Jewish. I'll marry Jewish. I'm going to remain Jewish. And don't worry about my Judaism. It's going to pass on. So here we emphasize that because Baruch Hu brought us closer to him, La'avodaso, in order to be able to serve him. And that's an essential part of our, uh, our existence, certainly as a nation, is to be able to, uh, to do that. Then... We talk, uh, the next paragraph has this history of the, the Jewish people, where we go through all of the Avos and whatnot. And then we say that this paragraph, 
we talk about how HaKadosh Baruch Hu already uh, foretold of the fact, he told Avram Avinu already, that he's going to have descendants who are going to be slaves, 400 years and all of that, that, that stuff. So this is giving us more about the history. This is connecting the, the genus, the embarrassing part of being idolaters, to the story of Mitzrayim. We have to fill in that, that timeline or that gap in time from Avram Avinu to Mitzrayim. So that really happens over here. And then we have, we interrupt the story in progress as we're still in that genus, we're still in that embarrassing, humiliating part of our, our story. And we declare, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, has assured us, by choosing us as his people, he's assured us that we will always exist. And despite the fact that we face enemies in each and every generation, Sometimes they're a bit more overt in terms of our enemies and their plans to try and annihilate us. Sometimes they're a little bit less, more subtle as far as that is concerned. But no generation should ever be shocked when there's anti-Semitism, which comes out of the woodwork, because every year we say in Haggadah that there are enemies who are trying to, uh, to annihilate us. So we go ahead and we do that. Hagash Baruch Hu is always going to go ahead and take care of us. Then here we go and we start Darshan. And this is what Chazal talked about in terms of telling the story. And Chazal gave us a, a, a skeleton structure of how to do so. And again, I don't think they really planned on inscripting the entire thing for us. They just chose a couple of, the, I think the simple explanation is, they, co- they chose, rather than reading all of Parsha Shmos, Va'era, Bo in Bashalach, which would take a long time to read through all of those, uh, those psukim and all of that. So they jumped to this, this, these psukim that relate to Bikurim, because the psukim which introduced, which a person says when he brings his first fruit to the Beis Hamikdash each and every year, as farmers w- would do, so this contains a nice condensed version of the story. And we choose the condensed version because it gives us the highlights, and that leaves room, and that leaves space for the adults at the table to go ahead and elaborate on the story, and to insert their own commentary, and their own metaphors, and their own muscles, and all of those things, in order to, as we said, make the story something which is real, and meaningful, and inspiring, and motivating to the younger generation of people who haven't had that experience themselves, are not holding in the same place in terms of the relationship with God, and we're looking to go ahead and inspire them and motivate them in that, in that direction. So all of these paragraphs over here, where we go almost phrase by phrase, phrase from the Pasuk, and then a Chazal, phrase from the Pasuk and Chazal, so this part over here, we're, we're going over it very quickly now, but this is actually the main part of Magid. All the other stuff is really is, is background to it, but these paragraphs are really the main part of Magid. This is the main part of the, uh, of the story, and it leads to eventually where we recount the Eser Makos, the Ten Plagues. So here we see again God uh, uh, demonstrating mastery and control over the entire universe. He was able to overturn it all for the sake of the, the, the Jewish people. And then we go ahead and we have these three paragraphs of Tanoim. You have Rabbi Yosef Glili, Rabbi Lezer, and Rabbi Kiva going ahead and doing some math. That's why you need to know, be able to, uh, to do math, because you need to figure out how many plagues there were, multiply that by 10, that's how many there were by the sea. And we see, once again, God's uh, control over the, over the world. And we do all of this. Now we begin to start our, our transition slowly. So we, 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 we were in Mitzrayim, we were slaves, we were tortured, we were being killed, we were being all of those terrible things. 
And now we recounted the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu went ahead and uh, took us out from Egypt. Taking us out of Egypt means not simply that he just ex- extracted us, extricated us from Mitzrayim, but he did so in this miraculous manner. And he did so demonstrating a sense of revenge against the nation that would torture us and that would enslave us and that would harm us. And then, So at this point, this is now a, a, a very significant transitional moment in the Seder, not simply because it's a song, and we all know the song Dayenu, but it has to do with the fact that gratitude is one of the most incredible traits which a person can have, which a person should strive to, to achieve, because a person who could feel a sense of gratitude is going to feel connected to God. People who see, people who are slaves, and everything is dark around their existence, and everything everything that's happening to them is always going to be interpreted as bad and they can't say any good, that itself is a tortured existence, even if you're not actually a slave to somebody. But living in a circumstance where everything that you see is always negative and always bad and always seeing the the dark lining of everything, so that's a tortured existence. And here suddenly we say, you know what? We've reached a point where we can express our gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And not only do we have, it's like a gratitude journal, so we go ahead and we begin to recount one step at a time all of these things which HaKadosh Baruch Hu did because our eyes are now opened and now we suddenly we realize that despite all of the difficulties which we endured, God loves us. And God is going to start drawing us near. And this is something, and therefore we could say that each one of these things, obviously most of these things, had God done just one and not the rest of them, it wouldn't be sufficient, but it is sufficient to be able to feel a sense of gratitude. So when you're looking for, when you're, when you're putting together your gratitude journal, whatever you do, two or three things a day that you're going to write down in your gratitude journal, so after a while, you begin to stretch, and you begin to have to search hard for things to be thankful about, but that makes you more thankful, because you realize that at the beginning of the gratitude journal, you didn't think you had that much to be thankful for, and now every day as that grows, you see how much there is which is good in your life, and that just grows exponentially. And that's what the purpose of this section of Dayenu is, is trying to accomplish, is to be able to feel that deep sense of gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then, as if we didn't, as if counting them one by one wasn't enough, we go ahead and you, you know what? We could go ahead and we can multiply this exponentially. Because God actually did all of these things. So each one goes, It's an amazing statement to say, when we say on the English side, you see it says, how much more so is the good that is doubled, quadrupled, that Hashem, the place, has bestowed upon us. And that's something which is incredible to realize how much goodness which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done. And therefore, now we're making this transition now into our, our, into our freedom, into our cheirus frame of mind, from our slavery frame of mind. And now Rabbi Gamliel says that if you're going to effectively, we sort of like pause in the middle of the story over here, where Rabbi Gamliel says that if somebody does not say these three things, lo chovaso, you didn't fulfill your obligation, and they are Pesach Matzamar. Pesach Matzamar are the ultimate props which the Torah dictates to us that we have to have at the Pesach Seder. There's the Korban Pesach, there's the Matzah, and there's the Mar. And he says, the Pesach is a fact that Baruch Hu skipped over our homes when he was wiping out the firstborn of the Egyptians. Wonderful, that's freedom related. And then the Matzah, as we said, the Matzah has now transitioned from poor man's bread 
to the bread of freedom, that food which we remember taking with us as we were leaving Mitzrayim at that first moment of Geula, the food that we had with us at the time was not the Korban Pesach, but it was the matzah, which is what we were able to take with us. That was the first care package which we, uh, we, which we took with us. So that's matzah of freedom, and it now reminds us of freedom. It's a transition. And now once I see the Korban Pesach, which is purely freedom, and I see the matzah, which transitioned from slavery to freedom, now I could go back and I could see the maror and I could process through that maror in a way which is going to be productive. When a person is down, when a person is enslaved, and a person is in the midst of this negative experience which they're going through, it's almost impossible to see anything positive out of that. And it's not even expected to see something which is positive. It could only be appreciated and fully processed once I'm already out of that difficult situation. And that's why, as many of the Mephoshim point out, that this Pesach, Matzah, Maror are not in chronological order. Chronological order would be Maror, Pesach, Matzah. But instead of going in chronological order, which is what we would expect, we go Pesach, Matzah, and then we swing back around to Maror, because it's only at that point, once we're free and we're out of the difficulty, can I then look back behind me and now look at it and see it for something different than when I was in the middle of it. And now that's going to be the, the significance of the mar. And we're not supposed to whitewash those difficult experiences of our life. This is a very important lesson that there's nobody who doesn't go through difficulties and challenges over the course of, the, of their lifetime. And it's not something which you're try, that one should try and deny, one should try and cover, one should try and hide in a closet somewhere and not address it at all. At some point, it has to be addressed because if HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided that this is going to be a part of your existence, it's something which is important to your existence. Somehow it plays a role in your, uh, your existence. And this is something which also has to be processed. But sometimes you need to be able to be a little bit away from it, a few steps away from it, then in the middle of it, in order to be able to experience that. And that's what that is. And then we repeat, because now we're at this, this, this high point. We say, behold, Orvador. So we're coming to emphasize that, remember, this was originally written for the generation of people who actually did leave Mitzrayim. So we're telling our children that it's something which is essential for you, kinderlach and, and grandchildren and whoever, nieces and nephews, whoever are there. So it's something which is essential to realize that if you're going to fully connect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're going to fulfill your destiny of dveikas, of connection in attachment to Hashem, the only way you're going to be able to do so is to be able to have a Mitzrayim experience, to feel as if you yourself were slaves, that was the beginning of Magid, and now to feel yourself that, 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 that exhilaration of now becoming free at this particular moment. And it's essential to, to, to realize that the, the halacha which we just said, that you have to see yourself as if you left Mitzrayim, the proof to that is, you got it to the vincha. It's the retelling of the story. So those who actually left Mitzrayim, they don't need to be reminded every year that they left Mitzrayim. They had the experience. So if they had the experience, they don't need to, uh, to, uh, to see themselves as if they left Mitzrayim. The only people who need to feel to look at themselves as if they left Mitzrayim is if it's as if. They didn't actually leave Mitzrayim, but they have to bring themselves to a point, or we, the adults and the grandparents and the parents, we have to bring the children to that state of mind where they can feel the same connection to God, which undoubtedly that generation of Mitzrayim experienced when they saw how loving HaKadosh Baruch Hu was as he took them out. And that is what we're emphasizing in that. And now this says, being that, 
we're now in that frame of mind where we feel that we are the generation who actually left Mitzrayim. So therefore we say, this is where you get the paid extra for each synonym that you pull out, where we say, lefikach. Therefore, and you have all of those synonyms of, which means you have to praise God. You have to praise God, you have to thank God, because for all of the miracles, for the one who performed all of these miracles for us, which is an amazing thing, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu did, but we're at the point now where we could feel we left Mitzrayim, and therefore, the, the need in the urge to sing praises of God and to do whatever can, dance a hora or something like that. So this is something which is overwhelming at that, at that moment. And that's reflected in all the synonyms which we draw upon to say that we have to praise God in any different way, shape, or manner that we possibly can for the very fact that Gash Baruch Hu took us, Hotzianu, so these are the things. God took us from slavery to freedom, from sadness to joy, from mourning to a yontif, from darkness to great light, and from slavery to redemption. So this is now the, the, the emotion which experience is like overflowing. It's just coming out of us uh, in, in an uncontrollable manner. And therefore, we jump now into, into hollow. Now, what's interesting over here is this is not the section of the Seder, which is called hollow. This is still part of the Magid section. And I won't read it because of time, but the Seder Hayom, so he goes ahead and he explains that the reason why we read two paragraphs now and we read the rest of Hala later on is because the first two paragraphs of Hala, and you'll pay attention come Yantif time, when you say it in Shul, when you say it at the, at the Pesach Seder, the first two paragraphs, this one over here, and these two paragraphs focus on past. Like the second paragraph begins, so these are praises that were said by that generation who actually walked out of Mitzrayim. And the focus is all past-related. It's thanks and praise of God for what has already happened. And then the rest of Hallel, which we say for after benching, that is all future-related. We're now looking towards the future Gula, the future redemption, the coming of Mashiach, all of those things related to Koshel Elio and all of that. That's what the remainder of Halal is about. It's much more future related than the, than the past. But at this point, we become so overwhelmed with emotion, the fact that we are free, the fact that Kosh Baruch Hu has taken us, as we said, uh, from all of these difficult circumstances, Abdus Sacheris, Yagan the Simcha, and all of that, we're just overflowing with praise of God, and therefore we burst almost spontaneously into these first two paragraphs of Hal. Then, now that we're so excited by what we're experiencing, so then we go ahead and we conclude with this, this bracha. So Magid ends with this bracha, and as we say, that God has redeemed us, this part. So the opportunity to do the mitzvahs that Hashem has commanded us, because we have to still, we haven't actually used the props yet. So far we've just talked about the props, but we actually haven't used them yet. And that's something which is coming up. But we make a bracha, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the redeemer of the Jewish people. And at that point, we're so excited, we're feeling so free, we got to eat. Because if you're going to, as we said, it's a, it's a fully sensory experience. And if we're going to experience this without having the opportunity, with, on an empty stomach while I'm still hungry, so my, my, my expressions of things are not going to be as strong if I'm hungry than if I'm full. 
You know, it sounds like almost a strange thing, but the truth is, is that this is actually halacha, which is brought down, I think, in two different places. For sure, in one place, but I think it's actually brought down in two places. And that has to do with saying Kiddush Levana. Kiddush Levana, if you remember, is the bracha that we make every month on the, uh, when the new moon reaches a certain, a certain size. And Kiddush Levana is a time of great joy. It's, it's supposed to be said with great simcha. Now, with being that it's supposed to be said with great simcha, so in the month of Av, when we're just coming out of Tisha B'av, we just fasted, and in the month of Tishrei, when we're just coming out of Yom Kippur, and we just fasted, so there are poskim who say you shouldn't say Kiddush Levana right after, right after Marv, because their concern is, is that if you've been fasting 24, 25 hours, how thankful could you be when you have such an empty stomach and you're starving? It's not going to be as, it's not going to be as, uh, as, as joyous when you're standing there and just starving, literally starving, haven't eaten in 25 hours. So if you're starving like that, you're not going to be able to experience it. Now, most shuls, I think they say it anyways, either they you know, put out some juice and some cookies or whatever to give people something to eat. But really what's supposed to happen is everybody's supposed to go home. They're supposed to break their fast with a regular suda and then convene back in shul an hour or two later to be able to say Kiddush Shavana with a full stomach. So here we see this idea that thanking God while I'm starving is not going to be the same thing as thanking God on a full stomach. So therefore we interrupt now what we're doing. We have to have a meal. We have to eat because I'm starving. It's been a, it's been a few hours since I started. So you do rachza anytime you're going to have it. We eat the motzi matzah. The motzi matzah we know is a combination of lecha mishnah and it's reminding us of those two different roles which the matzah has, both the freedom bread uh, the bread which we took with us as we were leaving Mitzrayim because we were rushing out, as well as the bread of, uh, of affliction. We have maror, which obviously reminds us of our affliction, the difficulty which we experience. Then we go ahead and we do this amazing thing called korech, which is combining the two things together. So we're combining the freedom and the slavery together into one sandwich. And that tells us that all these experiences, ultimately they're inseparable from one another because they're all part of not only the collective Jewish history of the Jewish people of that, of that generation who were in Mitzrayim, but every individual also has a certain level of some of the good things and some of the bad things and some of the personal redemptions and some of the personal slaveries. And all of that is also combined into one big sandwich, which is who we are, which is our current existence is the, the result of all of those things. And this is something which which it's important to combine together because we have to be able to, as we've said, as we said before, we have to be able to embrace the experiences of our lives, the positive as well as the negative, because they're obviously part of God's plan and all of them have to ultimately fit together. Shulchan Aruch, we go ahead and we say the, uh, the whole, uh, we, we eat the entire meal. Then we have the tzafum. Tzafum, you see, they, they translate as the concealed matzah, so this is the matzah that we were saving for later. This matzah actually represents, the way we do it nowadays, is this matzah represents the Korban Pesach. The Korban Pesach had to be eaten al hasova. It had to be eaten once one was already full. So we will go ahead and we'll grab a piece of cake for dessert, or we'll go ahead and we'll have some ices or something for dessert. So back in the good old days, after the entire meal, then you have another piece of flesh, you have another piece of steak. So that's really the good way to end a meal, is after everything is said and done, to have another piece of steak on top of all of that. So this is eaten as to keep with us, 
And we know that halach is, is you're not supposed to eat or drink anything other than the two cups of wine after eating the afikomen, because what we want to be able to do is both literally as well as figuratively, we want to be able to take with us the, uh, the Pesach experience. So one way that we do so is retaining that taste in our mouths so that we don't forget exactly what, the, what it is and where that taste is coming from, which is going to, uh, which accompanies us. Then we go ahead and we bench, because if you have a meal, so you got a bench. And then, um, then we begin, yeah. And then we begin the, the part which is hollow. Hollow begins with the Shafoch HaMasa El And here also it's a, it's a significant thing. I won't go through the whole thing, but the Ramah tells us, everybody knows, that this paragraph, after benching, before we begin Hallel, this paragraph of Shafoch HaMaschal HaGoyim, so this is where we open up the door, and we have the Koshel Eliyahu, which, which is out, and everybody, I, I think everybody stands up at that time to sort of welcome in Eliyahu with the door open. And the reason why we open the door, so the Ramah says, and the Mishabur explains, he says, that the opening of the door, is to remind us that the night of the Pesach Seder is a night of protection. We have extra insurance, extra security, which is out. We don't need to show people as greeters, but we have Eliyahu Navi who's actually doing the, uh, the greeting for us. And we don't have to be afraid of anything. So that's the explanation that the Mishaburah gives as to why we open the door. In the Sefer called Be'er Yosef, so I think it's from Rav Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, so he asked the question, he says, wait a minute, if the whole point is to say that the night of the Seder is Leil Shimurim, we should have opened up the door before Kaddish. Before we even sit down in the first place, we should open up the door and leave the door wide open for the two, three hours of the Seder. Why do we let two, three hours of the Seder pass us by, depending on what time it is for you at, at this point? But why do we allow all of that time to transpire and the door is still closed? And only now, at this point, do we go ahead and open up the, uh, the, the, uh, the door. And, and I, I think the answer to that is, or a possible answer to that is, is as we've been saying, is that we're, we're going through this transition. So at the beginning of the Seder, we're still enslaved. And as slaves, we're afraid. We're afraid of our very existence. We're afraid of harm, which is there. In Mitzrayim itself, the, the night of the original Pesach Seder, so the Jews were afraid that maybe some of the Jews would also die together with the, the Egyptians. That's why they had to put the blood on the, uh, on the lintel and on the doorpost. And that's why we say that the Korban Pesach is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu jumped over the houses of the Jewish people, which sounds like had he not done so, we would have been in danger as well. So it, it, when we finally reach the point of freedom and safety, now we feel comfortable enough we can open up our front door. But at the beginning of the Seder, when we were still in that slavery mindset, we weren't in a position, we were too scared to go ahead and open up the door at that point, and therefore the door was closed. And it's specifically now, as we're about to say how well, and look forward in our existence. So it's only at this point that we go ahead and we open up the door and we welcome in Eliyahu, because this is now, once we're fully comfortable in our present state of chayrus, our present state of freedom, in our present state of joy in all of that, now we can begin to look to the future. Somebody who's, who's living a tortured existence, they have a hard time seeing past the next minute. They can't think about anything in the future because life is too difficult in the moment. How could I possibly think about something in the future when life is so difficult and so challenging right here and now in the moment? That's something which is just a dream, which is beyond my ability to do. But now that we've reached that point, we've experienced 
We're now into that place of safety. We're now able to express gratitude. We're now able to sing Hallel. And once we're in that good mindset, that good, safe mindset, now we can start looking towards the future. The future actually has meaning for us at this moment. And that's why it's at this moment that we begin to pivot to look towards Eliyahu Anavi. And we're looking towards the final Gula in the Hallel, which is said over here, according to the, uh, the Seder Hayom, is all future related about what's going to happen. We say, um, um, like over here, we say, which translates as, my vows to the Lord I will pay now in front of his entire people. So if you pay attention to the language in the Hebrew, it says, I will, it's future tense. It's something that I will do. Because this is now a reflection of experiences which I've had in the past, but now I'm looking towards the geula, the final redemption, where I will then be able to fulfill all of my vows and all of my commitments and stuff of that uh, of that sort. Lacha ezbach zevach toda. I will bring, be able to again ezbach in the future. I will bring for you korbanos of thanksgiving because all of this is future related because that's where we're now comfortable enough and confident enough in our existence to be able to do so. And then we say, that's what the Kilolam Chasa, those paragraphs, all having to do with, again, being able to feel gratitude and thanksgiving to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for everything which is there. Nishmas is one of the most beautiful prayers which we have. It's worthwhile if you haven't done so as of yet. It's definitely worthwhile, certainly at the Pesach Seder, to go ahead and read it in English. See how poetic the uh, the paragraph is, and how thankful that we're, we're trying to conjure up within ourselves to be able to be towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then we conclude Hala with, you know, uh, the, the same way we get ourselves to Yishtabach, all of that praise of, of Hashem, fourth cup of wine, and then we get to Nirza. Nirza is an often forgot, forgotten part of the Seder, or it's a part of the Seder where we think that it's just where we get to sing Chagad Yonechem Yodea, and it's sort of like kids' time in terms of what exactly, uh, you know, if the kids made it up this long, they get rewarded with having a good rendition of Chagad or being able to challenge themselves and see if they could do all 13 Echad Yodeas and say it quickly together with all of the adults. But the truth is, is over here, this paragraph which we say, which is really the former part of Nirza, so this is really what we're striving for. Uh, it's like we like we say in in Adon Olam, Sof that it may be the last thing which you do, but it was the first thing that we thought about in terms of like if you have a curriculum. So when you're going to put together a curriculum, the first thing you need to know in your curriculum is what's your goal. Once you know what your goal is, then you can map things backwards from where you are now in order to be able to get to that goal. So Nirza is captures what the goal of the Seder was, and then you'll be able to look back. Hopefully you'll look over the Haggadah again sometime between now and the, uh, the, the, the Pesach Seder, but you'll be able to see that this really captures exactly what we're trying to do. We say, Chasal Seder Pesach Kiel Chaso, complete is the, this, is the Pesach Seder according to its law. So we told the story and we did the mitzvahs we were supposed to do. Kechom mishpato v'chukaso, all of the statutes and all of the, uh, the judgments. And just like we merited to be able to do it, so we should merit to be able to have the full experience of what this represented. That it should have the impact and it should have the inspiration which we are striving for. And then we turn to HaKadosh Baruch you, the pure one who dwells, Ona is one of the heavens in, in, the, in the, the, the skies. 
Raise up the congregation of the community with, which whom can count. And we say, bring close, lead the plantings of the saplings once again to the Jewish people, redeem to Zion with joy. And this is what we want. We want to be able to have that inspiration, take it with us in such a meaningful way that we should be able to cross that next threshold in the history of the Jewish people and be able to experience the, uh, the final geula. And that's really the idea which we're going to take with us by the time we leave is that we've had it, the experience of the full gamut of Jewish history, the past, the present, as well as a focus in our thoughts on the, uh, on the future. And this is... As we said, this is the GPS, this is the landscape of what's taking place as we make our way through the, uh, through the Haggadah, through the, the different uh, stages of, uh, of the Haggadah. And hopefully we should, uh, we should all merit to be, able to, uh, you know, to be able to experience it, to be able to share with those who are at our, our, our Pesach Seder, so that they should also be uh, inspired and motivated, and that we should uh, be able to draw from the revelation of the Divine Presence, which is there at every Pesach Seder, and we should be able to... Uh, uh, grab as much of that as we uh, as we possibly can. And that is what I got for you. Great. All right. Thank you all for coming. I appreciate it. And we will see you Thursday at eight o'clock. And I'll let you know, Ellen, tonight or tomorrow, what's going to be with uh, 